Welcome back to Level Up, a place where we get to discuss messages, things going on in the church, our community, or whatever you want to ask. Um, this week we're going to start um, actually at the end of this past week's message and probably go off on a tangent, I'm guessing. Because uh, this past week we uh, got to hear about Nehemiah coming back after, actually I don't, we don't even know how long he was gone, six months, ten years? Somewhere in between. Yeah, we, I think depending on which resource we look at, we see anything from about a year and a half. Uh, and then those that think it could have been 12 years. So he was there for 12 years as governor and then gone for 12 years. Um, I don't have a specific date that I would personally or amount of time that I would personally uh, advocate for. Although I, I do think that the context of how the problems played out seemed to lean more towards he was gone a longer period of time than a shorter period yeah. of time. So. And I guess for the sake of this argument, the time yeah. doesn't really matter because he comes back and you start seeing some things that, well, Israel has a history of repeating time and time again. But I think the thing that surprised a lot of us um, was the way that he reacted. I mean, we saw Ezra and uh, the earlier part of our study where he was confronted with his people's sin and he starts ripping his hair out and tearing his clothes, his own, his own clothes. Yeah. But now Nehemiah comes in, and uh, he's uh, more outwardly aggressive <laughs> by ripping other people's yeah. hair and yeah. giving the beat down because of what was going on. So I think that's going to catch a lot of people off guard because that doesn't seem like a very godly characteristic of somebody. Sure. So like, I mean, I'll speak more to that. Yeah, I, a, a couple of things um, come to mind initially. One. Um, and I actually had a similar conversation with, with a couple different people after church on Sunday. Um, if we think of Ezra and Nehemiah, and we try and uh, try to uh, think about other biblical characters that they might remind us of. In fact, both of these books have a lot in, in the way of how they play out their similarities to the Exodus mm -hmm. story. And so in that way, we might think of Ezra as the Aaron, right, the, the priest. Mm -hmm. And we might think of Nehemiah as Moses, not Moses as in his personal interaction with God, because we don't see that with Nehemiah, but Moses was more of just like the, the leader, the, the figurehead, the, the, the driver of things. And so from that perspective, I think the type of response that we see from Ezra is a sort of a priestly response, mm -hmm. one that you might expect from a, a pastor or whatever. And then the response that we see from Nehemiah, Nehemiah was, was the governor. So he was the governor the time that he came back, and then he went back to, to, to Susa, and then he came back and was reinstated as governor again. And so um, I think when we think of it that way, it helps take a little of the edge off. He's in a government, a governor-type role, not in a priestly-type role. And so at least for me, that takes a little bit of the edge off. Um, and then... It's a, it's a hard thing to read that in in the context and then and then come away with well that does not seem very Christian that does not seem very Christ like and there's there's I think there's probably some truth and some merit to that um, 
I think Nehemiah and Ezra and that whole group of people had, had reached a stage in Israel's history where, I mean, literally enough was enough. Just stop, right? And I'm guessing that we can put ourselves in contexts as a parent, um, perhaps as a child, as we remember our parents. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've talked about being a coach. I've, I've reached the point with my athletes at times where it's like okay, enough, enough is enough. Not doing the right thing or, or just messing around. Well, whatever, not running things the right way, the way they've been taught um, that. Is it, are we put off by Nehemiah's response because it's so lifelike? It's so much the type of response that, that we might not want to do, but that we're probably more prone to do than not. Is is that why it's so off-putting? Like we can see a little bit too much of ourselves in that a little bit and wanting to react. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's also like a, I can, this idea where it, to be encouraging to one another, we have to be, you know, positive, uplifting, and sure. whatever. But I guess in this case, I think of like, I, I'm okay. It's a bit of a, a cliche, maybe, but your kid's about to run out into the street. My reaction isn't going to be, "Oh, Lyndon, sweetie, please don't, don't do that. Yeah. It's not good." I'm gonna be like, "No, stop," because like, you need that to like. I mean, the Israelites were headed down this path. That, I mean, well. How many times have they been down the same road again and again and again? And Nehemiah sees this and it's like, no, we're done. Yeah. Because he knows, I, I guess where I'm going with this is like, he's so aggressive because he cares about his people following the word of God. And he cares about the welfare of his people too. And I think that's an important thing to remember. I think the example that you use about your daughter in, in danger is a great one, actually. Um, because... It might not just be yelling, stop, because she's off in the distance. Mm -hmm. Maybe she is off in the distance. It might actually require you to have a quote-unquote violent response in the sense that you might actually have to reach Mm -hmm. and grab and pull her, right? Yeah, which might not feel good. Yeah, and so in that sense, it would be a physically violent response. But that would be one that we would be okay with because... She was in danger, in physical danger of getting hit or or whatever, you know, that mm-hmm. particular circumstance would be. Now, we would be okay with that. Um, and so it still might be a hard connection for some of us to make. Well, there's a big difference in that and, and in this. And yet, I think that's a great a great example of what's really happening in that situation is is Nehemiah is reaching out and and grabbing a hold of the people to you know to 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 jolt them in a physical way in a violent way of sorts and saying you're you're in danger and you're endangering yeah. all you're not just endangering yourself you're endangering all of us because the reality is we talked about, you know, sort of in preparation for this. Um, yeah. They, he knew their history. <laughs> yeah. It's not just an individual's problem. It's the people of Israel as a whole. I mean, the reality is 
yes, we're all sinners. Yes, they were all sinners. So yes, in a general sense. Mm -hmm. But when we read these various accounts as we go through Old Testament history or or even into the New Testament, there's there's groups of people and even individuals at times that don't just ruin it for themselves. They're, they're bringing the whole nation of Israel down with them. I mean, that, that foreign wives thing mm-hmm. there as it closes is an example of that because that goes back to Solomon. Here's Solomon who we're told biblically there's no one that's ever been as wise or will ever be as wise, right? David's son. And so he's propped up as this leader in uh, Old, Old Testament history. We get proverbs from him and other things. And, and so he's propped up in this way. And yet his marriage to foreign wives is, is directly what is happening to hundreds of years later. And the same outcomes are mm-hmm. happening to the people. And these are the very things that they've been exiled for and, 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 and punished or blessings withheld because of. And so at, at what point at, at what point are we allowed to say enough is enough, but in an aggressive enough way that it actually gets people's attention and, and makes them stop, whether it's yelling, right, mm-hmm. in, in the Linden example, or it's, you know, grabbing and yeah. saying no. <laughs> no, one thing that as <clears throat> more we talk about this more that I'm thinking about, like these things can seem so aggressive because at the end of the day, like we see, um, I'm sure for the people at that time, they were thinking no big deal, right? Because they're, they're not seeing the, the immediate repercussions. Like it's, it's a lot easier to look back at history and see A led to B led to C led to off the cliff. But now they're like in the middle of whatever and there's like, they might not be seeing any immediate consequences. So like the response to his um, discipline, his, you know, whatever, uh, was probably not necessarily well received by everybody because it seemed like such a, an aggressive response to something that, I mean, whatever, we've been doing this for like, who knows, at that point, maybe a decade. Yeah, I I think that we see, especially in the couple earlier accounts, because we're talking primarily about the last section Mm -hmm. in chapter 13, but if if we go up and we look at the first and the second accounts of his correction, that seems to be received well, um, just in the sense that there's not this whatever. And I, you know, the people back then would have known some of this I, I've, I've you know, read and studied, and then some of it's, I guess, conjecture, but they would have known their history much better than we do. The, their religious history, the history of their ancestors, the history of their land, uh, because it was a much different time, and it was an oral culture, so it's not like they all pull out a book and they mm-hmm. read, right? There's this oral culture that they're learning from the time that they're little, and their, their faith would have been uh, an integral part of that. Like that would have been their learning of their history. Yeah. The, 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 relig- the religious, the spiritual part along with their ancestry. And so I, I think 
today so far removed from it and especially in sort of the time and the culture that we live now where you know your truth is your truth and yeah. not necessarily my truth and and all of that um i think we can look at things and we do um i've sent you clips of things before where it's like whoa how did he get from there to there we get we get in these situations where we read something like we read at the end of chapter 13 and think that's not the way that it's supposed to be like because we're yeah. looking at it through our lens now and what would be acceptable behavior it would not seem acceptable for me to walk off the stage right and physically grab someone right <laughs> or pull their hair their beard whatever but so that's your challenge for this Sunday is to oh, grab yeah. somebody. Yeah. <laughs> that would go over well, yeah. I'm sure. That would be making the rounds at the nightly news. Pastor walks off the stage and physically assaults. LCC goes viral. Yeah, so like there's just pieces that, that are disconnected for us that we, we just have to be careful that we don't don't make some rash judgment that what he did or what they did was wrong because we're looking at it through mm -hmm. a lens that's uh, three, 2,500 years later, you know, ish. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, that's a good point. I, I guess where I was headed with that was less, um, about the specifics of like how they actually reacted, like according to the scripture and more about like, I can see that being someone's like gut reaction yeah. because we have that reaction. Um, cause I'm thinking about moving, like taking this concept to now. Mm -hmm. And ultimately that's where I was headed. Yeah. Um, because going through what we've been uh, talking about over this study, we've seen the well the highs and the lows, like we've been talking about some of the you know highs being their successes and seeing God work through uh, what looked like was going to be you know detrimental situations with the the government you know coming in, but then it turns out best thing ever uh, that could, or the best thing that could could have happened for them. Um, but now we're seeing um, conflict. Mm -hmm. and people being called out for sin. And I think about that now, um, it's um, unfortunately lacking um, seeing people get called out for uh, the sin that's happening because we, we meaning just people at large, look for the positive. We want to see the good. Um, and I guess I kind of want to dig into why is conflict, why is calling things like sin, and everything out to the forefront. Why is that actually like a positive when we view it as a negative? Well, I, m one of my first thoughts about that is there's a difference between what you and I are doing now as we're interacting face to face and then what we see play out in the media or on social media. I think people on a social media side or on a media side where you're not having to look somebody in the eye because there's not really any type of relationship or accountability. Mm -hmm. And we can be quick to say, right? Mm -hmm. Point our finger and wag our finger and say, Well, we also get a little more and, brave when there's a layer of anonymity there. Yeah. And so that, I guess, just, we're not, we're not talking about that. So we're, we're talking about something that would have a more personal dynamic. Um, I, well, I said a couple of weeks ago that we're, generally speaking, conflict averse. Um, we, we don't want to be corrected. 
nor do we really want to correct because there's an uneasiness about that. So I think that's the first hurdle mm-hmm. to overcome. Um, and yet, even to use a really silly example, if I really love you and, and have, have uh, you know, desire for you to do well in your life and all of those things, to, again, to use a really dumb example, if I knew that uh, you were going to walk into an interview like this and you had something hanging from your nose or your teeth or something like that, would, would I lovingly correct you and say, hey, go look in the mirror before you hop on camera? Would that be the loving thing to do or would should I just keep that to myself? Well, it'd be really uncomfortable to say I got a boogie. Yeah, but... Do, do I? No, okay. no okay. you're okay. okay. But like, <laughs> wouldn't that be the loving thing to do? Yeah, so in the same way... You know, if we if, if we put that on a grander scale instead of a silly example like that, I mean, it does feel uncomfortable uh, with pointing out sin, whether it's in a teaching context or a personal context. And yet, that's the loving thing to do. And somehow it seems counterintuitive in our, well, I guess, current day and age, because to point out something that's not right, I mean, bringing it from... <laughs> issues into sin, uh, it can start to feel like a personal attack very quickly. Not saying that it is, but that could be the perception. So I think that's where the rub comes with conflict. Yeah. And I mean, obviously, the better relationship that you have with the person, the easier that's going to be. I mean, I could do that with you or you could do that with me after six and a half years of whatever it's been of knowing one another. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's harder with someone that you don't know at all or someone that you know very little or maybe even someone that you've had some tension with in the past. And then, of course, in the context in which uh, we're teaching from the stage to a group of people, well, there's a whole spectrum of relational dynamic mm-hmm. going on there. There's people that are brand new that I've never even seen them before that day. And then there's people like you that I've known for six plus years and have varying degrees of relationship with. And yet, just like Ezra, just like Nehemiah, just like um, Old Testament prophets, and it's not just an Old Testament thing. I think we've got this misconstrued notion of we turn the page to the New Testament and everything is sunshine and rainbows, right? And the hugs and kisses and clouds. And it's not, it's just not the case. Like we, we have to, that's the position that we're in. It's, it's one believer telling another believer, here's God's standard. Here's how you, here's how we uh, aren't meeting it. And how, how can we, how can we move that along? And not meeting it in the sense mm-hmm. of we're earning our salvation. I don't want something somebody to go yeah. that place. But heading that direction. Yes. But I think that's the important distinction is, um, is helping each other to work that direction. Because I, I think what our inner dialogue wants to hear is, um, Corey, you called me out for something. It's because I suck. I'm yeah. the worst. Yeah. I'm terrible. I feel guilty. I hate myself that kind of thing when uh, when like that's not going to be your focus at all it's i think you're capable of more sure um, sure or and there's, there's a higher standard yeah. that we're called to i think that we should all be striving towards it's not that you're terrible it's not that you're 
But we don't we do that like it's like whenever we get corrected or there's conflict or whatever, that seems to be the default that we go to is is well, I'm awful. And you're just pointing out more and more that I'm awful and I'm awful and I'm yeah. awful. And that that I don't know why we do that to ourselves. Um again from a teaching standpoint, um I hope that I'm transparent enough in a in, in that setting where I'm just thinking back a couple weeks ago where we were in chapter 12 and it was the sort of the rah-rah message. And I took time at the beginning to tell a personal story and to basically say, I'm really bad at this. Mm -hmm. You've got an introvert trying to tell you all how to be an extrovert. So in a sense, I was taking ownership of my shortcomings so that we could just move ahead and teach that, right? Mm -hmm. and, and to own that collectively. Um, so when we're teaching or we're in a personal context like this and there's correction, it's not I'm better than you or I'm better than you. It's, it's, it's pointing those things out in that particular passage where in that instance, and the expectation should be reciprocation. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily in that situation, oh, I told you a thing you can improve on, so now you tell me one too, because that may or may not apply. <laughs> it's like a backwards way of exchanging compliments. <laughs> yeah, but maybe yeah. a week later or a month later or six months later, we're in a situation where it's like, obviously I've got a blind spot to this thing, and now you can step in and say, hey, you're, you're missing that. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember that it's not me saying, Corey, you're awful, and that's the reason I'm calling you out. It's, I mean, Nehemiah is going after these people in a, well, unfortunately aggressive way because of, well, I guess I see two major things. One, he cares about you know, upholding the word of God, the law. And two, he cares about the people. Like, he's not going to go through all of that if he didn't care. Um, if he was indifferent, he might have been, hey, guys, knock it off. No. Um, but if he didn't, like, it's all out of love. And I, I think that's a hard thing is until you're able to see, like, um, the intent and the heart behind it, it doesn't feel loving on the outset. We have to look at the big picture and get it all in context and not just how we feel about the conflict itself. I mean, and this carries over into the New Testament, too. I mentioned that a minute ago. Where it's You've like never seen any behavior like that from Jesus. Never, especially not never, by flipping tables right? or yeah. using a whip I mean, or anything. No, we don't, we don't see him necessarily <laughs> hitting people in the way that we read that with Nehemiah 13. But we do see these the instances parts, yeah. where there is aggression on his part. Now, what are the root similarities there between what Nehemiah did and what Jesus did? Well... It's because the God and the Word of God or whatever is being uh, put down and not upheld. The stuff was happening in the temple with Jesus, taxi, like, and so he's flipping over tables and saying, "You, you uh, brood of vipers," I believe is what he says yeah. there. Nehemiah, in a sense, is doing the same type of thing, um, and so like we don't see. I don't know what this this um this thing that we that, that that Christians today have told themselves about what the New Testament is and it isn't. I don't I don't know if it's just a 
it's the same God, first of all. We've talked about that several different times mm -hmm. through this series. When we see God and we don't see the word or the name Jesus or we don't see Holy Spirit, the, the, they're, they're, it, it, they're all there the whole time from beginning to end. So there's not that God and then this God in the new, new covenant. Um, and then you, we, you and I were talking about this earlier this week where when we think about Jesus's interactions with people, right? And there's this confrontation or this uh, Jesus taking corrective action. Mm -hmm. So there's similarities there. In every instance, how does how does that uh, interaction end? There's some form of go and send no more. Like, exactly. There's a direction. And so, how is that? How is that really different than what we see with Nehemiah, with what we see with Ezra, with what we see with any of the Old Testament prophets? Jesus has confronted these individuals, the woman at the whatever, right? All of these different situations tells them these things and then says go and sin no more it's a it's it's a confrontation mm -hmm. it's a correction it's saying you are not measuring up to what it is that you're supposed to um either as a old testament jew so the law mm -hmm. or in our context as a christian um that we're supposed to be a new creation that we're supposed to have the fruit of the spirit that we're supposed to have these types of fruit in our lives again not not to earn salvation but because of our salvation we do these mm -hmm. things and so it's it's an accountability in that way and one thing i'm thinking I, the more we dig into this more that i'm thinking like it's easy to read the story like my mind goes to the woman at the well and he calls her out like hard and fast and from the outside, it's like, you know, she wasn't living right, but he handled that well. Um, and I think the easy part is she's not us. Like Jesus was talking to someone else. So when we see that from the outside, it's really easy to see. Um, but to put that in context, like he loved her and wanted good for her. So he called her out. Um, <clears throat> now I think about the way that we teach um, going, you know, verse by verse, book by book and digging in. Um, I think a lot of that rub comes from that person is no longer somebody else because we have to confront that in ourselves. So now the woman at the well is us. Now the Israelite people that Nehemiah is coming and busting heads, that's us. And I think the other thing that, um, oh, good grief. I hope it comes out obviously to everyone that's listening and watching. The reason that we teach it isn't, to guilt trip or to, you know, <laughs> anything like that, or to make you feel terrible. Um, it really comes down to like be just, well, A, the Bible says it, so we teach it. Uh, but the other side of it is we actually care. Um, like, yeah, I mean, obviously we're not dealing with the same situation in the sense that um, uh, the marrying of the foreign wives kind of a thing, not, not in a, in a, in a apples to apples, one to one mm -hmm. kind of a way, but what are, what were the lessons being taught there? And then how does that, how does that pull forward? And then can we see some new Testament teaching that would um, solidify that, which we've done along the way and then, okay, what is that? 
how is that supposed to impress upon us? What is mm -hmm. that? What does that mean for us? But we don't start there. What does this verse mean to you? Kind of a thing. No. What did it mean? What are the pieces that we can pull out of that? Mm -hmm. And then now, how how do we apply that in the same context? And so, or in a similar way. And those those things are hard. So no, we're not getting you know for marrying foreign wives in the same sense that Nehemiah was correcting them. Um, but there are other areas in our life that need and deserve correction, mm -hmm. and we need to be bold enough as teachers of the Word, bold enough as brothers and sisters in Christ to, to confront one another, hopefully in a loving way that, that is not perceived as a guilt trip or those kinds of things, but in the loving I want what's best for you. I want what's best for our church. I want what's best for, you know, kind of the capital C church, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that our witness is as good as it can be. Um, and that takes, that takes uh, sometimes being bold, sometimes correcting. And we go where the text yeah. leads us. And I think as a body, it also, it, it helps to keep that kind of perspective. Uh, I mean, think about you go to class, you don't have teachers telling you you're smart. You have teachers having you read, having you do papers, having you study and digging into the hard, the grind. Um, you go to the gym, you don't go to the gym to feel good, at least not <laughs> initially. No. You're there to grind it out, yeah. to get sweaty, to get sore. I mean, just improving on anything takes so much effort. Yeah, and there's hopefully some encouragement along the way, oh, yeah. either from the outside or or internally. But you can't depend on the the outside encouragement necessarily. Well, but at, well, whether it's there or not, when you're at the when you're at school, um, you're not sitting there thinking, "Man, I don't know this content. I don't know this content." You go, "I'm learning this content," and I know at the end of it. I mean, there's a degree or there's, you know, a, a healthier lifestyle, after, yeah. you know, working out, working out yeah. towards at the gym or something like that. So I, th I, I guess that brings up another yeah. point is in, the, in these studies, um, a lot of this can kind of feel like a beat down, um, but we also have to look ahead. Like we can't look at things in the Old Testament or you know, learn about disciplinary things or being convicted of our sin without taking the, the whole of the Bible. And like, because I mean, it all points to Christ and like we yeah. can't. Yeah. Well, that's we why I think the, the, exercise, the exercise analogy is such a great one so often. Or, like, usually I'll take exercise and make it sports, right? Yeah, I know. You can't. <laughs> there's, you, you have to go through the hard part to get to where you look or feel better. Or, you know, if you want to be a good dribbler or a good shooter, like, you have to go through the reps, mm -hmm. right? hundreds and thousands of reps to get to the point where now you're doing the thing that you want to be doing efficiently and, and whatnot. And so I, I, I think that there's such a great symmetry between using those types of examples and then our walk of faith. And I think that's a big part of why Paul uses a lot of uh, those types. Yeah, I've of, run the race. Yeah. And there's a reason why, because that's what this is. Like, it's not always going to feel good. Like, Physically, spiritually, mentally, 
So what are you doing with that when, when there's that rub, right? Do you recognize in the moment that, man, this, this, this hurts and I can't go any longer knowing that a week, that a month, a year from now, you see and feel those results or do you get bogged down by the, you know, oh, not again, self deception, self guilt mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Yeah. Eyes on the prize, yeah. as they say. Yeah. And I think perspective can make all the difference. Well, we've probably beat this to death. <laughs> probably. Uh, this session. Um, just a quick word about what's coming this Sunday. Uh, I, I did not want to end, and I've said this the last couple of weeks, uh, in this and on stage, that I didn't want to end Nehemiah with the way that Nehemiah kind of ends. And so this week we'll look at, I believe there's six or seven statements where, where Nehemiah says, remember me, oh God, for said, you know, fill in the blank. And so what I've equated that to, what I'll be equating it to this week is um, when we see in the New Testament, well done, good and faithful servant. And that sounds like a positive, uplifting kind of a thing, and it is. I think we all want to hear good job when it's due, right? And especially at the end of our mm -hmm. walk and at the end of our life, we want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But the reality with that statement is really not a whole lot different than what we've been talking about. You don't get to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Without doing. Yes. <laughs> and so... While on the surface it seems, you know, sort of positive and rah-rah, and it is, there's still some boxes, there's still... The, you have the, to look at the like, totality yeah. of it, for sure. And so that's what we're going to talk about this Sunday, sort of wrap up, wrap up Ezra and Nehemiah, wrap up this study that I think has been um, a, a great one for our church and uh, for the people of our church, and, and we've gotten you know, fantastic feedback about that along the way, about how even people just joking, I don't know where the books of Ezra and Nehemiah are in my Bible. I can turn there <laughs> automatically, which I think is a win in and of itself, but um, yep. certainly the content too. For sure. Well, I think this is where we're going to wrap it up. Um, as always, if you have a question that you want answered on here, uh, leave a comment below, uh, email, uh, the email address that's in the description, uh, whatever platform you're on, um, give us a review, a like button, however those things work. Yeah. And until next time, See bye. <laughs> I got to learn how to end these things.